0: This is My Seminary Life, episode 12, and I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and today we are going to be looking at some of C.S. Lewis's thoughts on grief, suffering, and pain. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are going to be taking a break from our regular C.S. Lewis read. We've been going through portions of The Essential C.S. Lewis, edited by Lyle W. Dorset, And today we're hopping into a different book. Uh, this is entitled C.S. Lewis on Grief, compiled by Leslie Wal- Wal- Walmsley. Wow, I really butchered that. Leslie Walmsley. So this book is a collection uh, it's very short. This is this is a coffee table book. I should explain that first. It is less than 70 pages long. It's small in stature and design. It is it is a coffee table book. I picked up this along with two others at an antique store about a year ago or so. Sometime in the summer of last year, I think it's when I got all these they are short two-page uh, segments from various C.S. Lewis writings. It's probably like three paragraphs per section. It's, they're very short, and they're from a number of different uh, writings by Lewis. Obviously, when you're talking about grief and pain and suffering... The immediate places that you're going to go when it comes to C.S. Lewis are The Problem of Pain and The Grief Observed, which is predominantly where this book pulls a lot of its source material from. However, there are some selected writings from Surprised by Joy, which is his uh, spiritual autobiography. There's also uh, Mere Christianity, which was his uh, radio series that was compiled into book format at one point. Uh, and some of his fictional work is kind of scattered throughout. Actually, this book opens with the poem that he wrote after the death of his wife, which we talked about in last, uh, last week's episode on C.S. Lewis's poetry. Uh, but today we are here to look at grief, suffering, pain, all those really... Really comfy conversations that we really like to have. We all we just love talking about how I'm not okay, and I promise. <laughs> uh, but today we are. Uh, there's a reason why we are in this book in particular. There's a uh, reason why I decided to make this change more than just for the sake of having the topic. This is actually a two birds with one stone type of situation for me. You see, this week, I, I mentioned it briefly last in last week's episode. Uh, this week, I've been prepare, uh, preparing a sermon to preach at a church. Tomorrow, at least, I don't know when you listen to these episodes, but it's Saturday right now. I'm preaching tomorrow, Sunday, at a church. Uh, and the situation for this church is a bit of a sad one. It is a sad situation that this church has faced because last Sunday was their pastor's final Sunday with the church. And I am the first of who knows how many guest speakers that will be coming over the next few weeks, months, God forbid, years. But Next several months, at least, I'm one of the, I am the very first guest speaker. During a time of grief and uncertainty, uh, this pastor had been at this church for over 10 years, which uh, any pastor who lasts longer than five years at a church has longevity going for them at this point. Uh, Been there for over 10 years and just uh, piled on top of that, just everything that has been going on, in the rest of the world, for the past 15 months, I I really think that people right now at this church, and in a broader sense, people in this country and around the world, are tired, and are grieving, and are in pain, and are suffering. Plus, you know... St- in the first season, talking about spiritual formation, uh, we had an episode. I believe it was episode four, entitled "Dark Night, Dark Nights of the Soul." You can go back and listen to it, where we talked. A, we talked a lot about how God speaks to us through our pain and suffering, and sits with us through the processing of these uh, unfortunate types of situations. And it's been on my heart ever since then to. Share this message with other churches because I I believe that as Christians we really don't like pain and suffering at all. We want the good life. We talked about that a lot in the first season. That what we want the good life. We want we want the good health over the cancer, given the option. And because of all that, I've been really wanting to share this message of, no, guys, we we can have experiences with God in our pain and suffering if we're just willing to sit there in it for a little bit. But no, we want to rush right through it. And so with that on my heart and the situation that this church is in, I, I have found the congregation that the, the Spirit has put on my heart that needs to hear this message that this is the first Sunday in a new kind of scary journey that you're on and you you can lament that. You can grieve that. You should allow yourself the space to be upset over this pastor leaving. And so in preparation for the sermon, and because I have a podcast to do as well, I grabbed this book and thought that this would be a good way to Assist me in my studying. It's been a good way to kind of get my mind in the place that it needs to be on talking about grief and giving me some material to talk about here today with you all. So that's what's that was the reason for the switch next week. And I think for the rest of the I think we have four more episodes on C.S. Lewis planned. We're going to be back in. The essential C.S. Lewis. But for today, we are taking a break to talk about grief. Now, for those of you who don't know me personally, I think I might need to back up a little bit here. For the past, uh, what is it, 2021? For the past seven years, I think, I have been, been doing this ministry, It is kind of a personal ministry of mine, where uh, I travel from I travel around churches here in my home region of Northwest Indiana, preaching at churches that uh, the past they don't have a pastor, or you know the pastor needs to go on vacation, needs to take a sabbatical, and I go in and I cover the pulpit. Pre COVID, this was a uh, pre COVID and especially pre marriage. Uh, this was definitely. Almost, this was almost a weekly thing for me. I would preach three or four times a month once we got married. I tried to split my time a little bit more evenly so that way my wife and I would be at our home church together. So more like twice a month. Now with COVID, things have gotten a little wonky. It has it has given me some very unique opportunities. Uh, been on the radio, YouTube, Facebook, you know, just some, some unique opportunities uh, but this summer, with everything kind of going back to normal, I've got a lot of dates lined up for the next co- couple months. I'll probably bring those up here and there as I'm getting ready for them. Uh, I say all of that just to put that out there. If you're a pastor or an elder or someone who, you know, your church is looking for someone to do pulpit supply, your church needs someone to come in for a period of time, or you just want to shake things up and you would like a young gun preacher in there uh, in the pulpit for a Sunday, feel free to reach out. I cannot promise you how far I am willing to travel for these type of things at this point, but feel free to reach out. You can DM me on Twitter at my underscore Seminary Life, or you can leave a, a voice message on our profile on Anchor. Reach out, I'll get you some actual like contact information, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, my preaching style is very much the typical, uh, very exegetical. We're going to sit in one passage, look at, work through it verse by verse, picking it apart but for this one this is different. You know, this is a different Sunday, this first Sunday for this church. And because of that, I felt led that this message needed to be something different. So I'm not it, it's I'm not sitting in one place. I think the uh the average the average person would say this is more of a topical sermon i would like to i think of it more as a lecture it's very saturated with scripture still but it's it's more of a talk what it's more of a talk than an actual like, traditionally viewed sermon because talking about grief talking about suffering and pain you you need I think you need something a little bit different than a really polished and refined sermon. And that's how we get back over into C.S. Lewis. Because it was, it was very different reading these selections on grief and on suffering. Especially the ones that were from the grief observed for, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this work, this was essentially a journal that he kept after the death of his wife. And was just processing what was going on as, as it was unfolding, processing what he was thinking, how he was feeling, you know, how much he wanted her back. A very, it's a very raw and very emotional C.S. Lewis. And that is the big difference between this re- this reading we did this week and the other readings we've done so far. Uh, episode, episodes 9 and 10, we looked at God in the Dock and what are we to make of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at, in episode 11, about a dozen or so of Lewis's poems. But even, even including the poetry, the big difference between what we have read so far and the selections on pain and suffering is it is more emotional and less logic. Logic is the big defining trait that runs throughout just about all of C.S. Lewis's writings. The The use of logic, thinking things out, trying to work things out rationally within a biblical lens to support his argument, that is... Textbook C.S. Lewis writing 101. But especially with this stuff from The Grief Observed, it's not that it's illogical, but it is definitely emotional. And sometimes you write or say things when you're emotional that are not logical. It just it, it happens. When your emotions start to get more of the best of you, you... You're a lot less logical. And that that's, was evident here in these writings. Some of, the, some of the writings are presented a bit more coherently. Um, for example, there's a section from Surprised by Joy where Lewis writes about him and his brother and his dad processing the death of his mother. This had happened decades earlier in Lewis's life I, I believe he was a child when his mother died and surprised by joy he's a much older he's Christ, he's a christian man by this point so he's writing about this process here as opposed to the grief observed where he is sitting in the process writing about how he is feeling in the moment it's kind of like when one of my in one of my old journals i can think of the page Right now, in one of my old journals, there is from a point in college, I think I was a senior in college, and I opened up my journal and I was very miserable, very down in the dumps, and I just scribbled really big on the page, Help me. Okay, so that took all of like 20 seconds to tell you about an event that happened like six or seven years ago in my life. At that point in time, If you were to ask me, how am I doing, I would have droned on for hours, being very emotional, probably lacking some logic in my life. And that's the difference here, is that we have Surprised by Joy entries of him reflecting on memories from the past, and the grief observed him being very raw in the moment. Some of these are well thought out statements while in other sections like from the grief observed uh he talks about how he feels like an embarrassment to everyone he encounters and everywhere he goes he feels like an embarrassment like it's hard for him to show his face in public after the death of his wife c.s lewis a man that you know probably a lot of us i mean he's a obviously a brilliant scholar and a brilliant writer but a man that we idolize he was he was embarrassed to go in public he hated it he was embarrassed when people would come up and say something to him you know talking about his wife and how he was doing he was embarrassed when people didn't come up and talk to him about his wife he was feeling he writes about how lethargic and unmotivated he was how there was a period of time where doing his work could he could barely do his work he could barely get his mind off of his wife he felt he writes about how he feels greedy wanting her back and how that would be if that was at all possible how horrible that would be for her having to go through a second round of death like it's this isn't Lewis the scholar this isn't Lewis the intellectual this is Lewis the hot mess honestly like we get a very honest look at a man who is very raw and emotional that is completely different from how he normally writes I think even I didn't write it down and that's a shame on me for uh, not doing this but the the original originally when the grief observed was when a grief observed was originally released it was released under a pen name he did not have it released as cs lewis it was a different name i should have written that down that's my bad and it was after his death that then the book got republished under his name like the processing of the death of his wife he was He was honest about it, but it brought him some shame and embarrassment to be in the place that he was. Sorry, I'm lost in my notes. He talks about how he feels lethargic and greedy. He talks about how he just wants to have back the one thing he can never have again, the past. And that was a thought that really uh, connected with me and was one that we probably needed more last year. I can remember this time last year, just so desperately wanting to go to a coffee shop and sit there with somebody across from me and just talk. That is a little bit of heaven on earth for me. I am very introverted So that type of an environment is perfect for me. But we we couldn't have it. There are so many things within the past year, just looking very specifically the past 15 months with the pandemic, that we couldn't do. Or we've lost loved ones during this time period. And it's been different how we've had to grieve and process that loss. And we just want things to go back to normal. We want the past back. I have no idea. Silly example. I have no idea when was the last time I went to a concert. No idea. I think, I think it was 2019, February 2019, when my wife and I went and saw Panic at the Disco. But I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Right now, I have, I'm sitting on tickets for a Phil Wickham concert in October of this year in person, in real life. I'm sorry if you can hear my life, my wife laughing in the background. I think she's got her AirPods on. Um, anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, uh, Phil Wickham. So I got tickets for a Phil Wickham concert later this year in October. He's going to be there. There will be people there. And I am so excited for it. Love Phil Wickham, great guy, but I think I'm more so excited because it's a concert. It's a thing I'm going to do with other people there. It's a taste of the past. And if it's, if it's not something like that, like something that we haven't been able to do for a while, then it's more you know something like Lewis where we have lost a loved one and we so desperately want that time with them back, but we can't have it. And he processes that, and he grieves that. We talked a little bit about the uh, lack of logic in this, in some of the writings, and it being more emotionally driven. Another Lewisism that I picked up on, which this this actually has less to do with grief, but it was finally finally something that clicked with me. That was like, oh, this. This is a normal Lewis writing trait. So this is more of the educational side of our fake summer semester Uh, is his use of the phrase in the Christian view, in the Christian view. That statement came up in a number of selected readings. And I realized the number of times I've read it these past three weeks in other and other things. This is a normal phrase for him to use. And it's an it's an interesting phrase when you think about it. Because when when you're using it to a when you're talking to an unbeliever, it kind of makes sense. Like I'm I'm pretty sure when I've talked to like unsaved co-workers or something, I've said something pretty similar to that in explaining my view on something that this is this is the Christian view. This is the Christian faith. This is the Christian doctrine. In those sense in that sense it makes it makes sense to me to speak that way but Lewis uses it not just when he's talking about unbelievers he uses that when he's talking about christian doctrine that he is explaining to believers and it's never like a real heavy real in-depth doctrine it's a lot of times the most basic of christian doctrine so where I and other preachers or writers would use the phrase, we as believers believe, or we believe that, you know, kind of this collective mentality of, we know this, we believe this, but I'm going to state it now to remind everyone. For Lewis, when he uses this phrase, in the Christian view, it kind of comes off more as a, um, like, this is something we have not yet grasped within Christianity. This is a this is a doctrine that we have not fully embraced yet. Even though a lot of times it is a doctrine that is very basic that all Christians do believe. So it's it, it's interesting. I that's just an observation. I don't really have anything one way or another on it. Um, I had a. It has nothing really to do with grief, at all. Uh, where are we now? Okay, so as we're wrapping things up here, there are two sections I wanted to touch on specifically. Uh, both of them come from the problem of pain. First, there is a countercultural reading that is pulled from this book. This section is, in- is entitled A Horror to God. Okay? In this section... Lewis writes favorably of the emotion of shame and the goal of a Christian to see themselves as a horror to God. Okay, that does not preach anymore. That does not preach in a good vibes only culture. It does not preach. Not even close. In the world and in the church, that is not the mentality anymore. In the in the world, the mentality is everybody's unique, everybody is different, everyone is special, and that's good. In the church, we really focus on our identity in Christ, which is biblical. We should have this perspective. But I think... I think personally that there are times where we uh, idolize it. I guess is the best word to use here that we idolize our identity in Christ. There are songs that we sing at my home church, I will not tell you what they're called, that they focus on they they really come off more as focusing on who I am and not who God is. It's all biblical. Everything they're saying is technically biblical, but the songs are more rooted in how great I am rather than worshiping God. Now, coming back to what Lewis has to say on this is completely different. Here's Lewis saying that you should embrace shame. And see yourself as a horror before God. That is not even close to what we are fed to think about now. What I, what, I believe, uh, what I believe Lewis is trying to get at here is that I think the church needs to get back to this in some degree. Which he does argue that this should be taken in degrees. I don't know if I can get on board with what he's what he's saying here about shame. I don't know. It's shame has just become this tool to degrade people. I think I don't know what it was like when he wrote a problem with pain, but the shame is like a degrading thing now. I don't know if I can get on board with him on this. But this part about being a horror before God, I I think within degree we do need this as a check and balance to the overly good vibes only mentality that has gotten into the church. Because just as it's biblical to reflect on my identity in Christ as an adopted son of God and as you as a adop- adopted son of daughter of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ it is also i think there is a place to recognize that paul said that he was the chief among sinners and that john the baptist said that he that is jesus must increase and that i john the baptist must decrease like i think there are places for us and i i believe this is what lewis is getting at is that biblical humility does have a place for saying I'm not great. I am not a good person. Yes, as Christians, the blood of Jesus Christ has covered our sins, and there is grace for what we do. But I, I think the point here is that that doesn't change the fact that the sin is still evil. It is still grotesque. It is still bad. And I think we've leaned, we've started leaning a little too far towards this sin is bad, but look you that doesn't define you anymore. Well, if Paul, a Christian, can say, I am the chief among sinners, then maybe we need to adopt this mentality as well. In balance, in moderation because i think idolizing this mentality you really start to beat yourself down more than grace allows for grace does allow for us to say yes i am a sinner but thank you god for bringing me out of this but there i do think there is a balance that we need to walk here with this the other section from the problem of pain that stood out to me, uh, was what Lewis had to write about evil taking place in the world. Here's, I I just have the whole quote here, uh, because it's so much better than anything I would actually say to you. So here we go. The possibility of pain is inherent in the very existence of a world where souls can meet. It is men, not God, Who have produced racks, whips, prisons, slaves, guns, bayonets, and bombs. It is by human advance and human, excuse me, it is by human avarice and human stupidity. Not by the trillishness of nature that we have poverty and overwork. This really hit me hard. And it is because I think a lot of times, but let me back up. It's for two reasons. First off, Lewis in his brutal honesty, just straight up says, sometimes humans are stupid. And I think that's a word that we sometimes like to dance around. We want to be nice to everybody. Sometimes humans are stupid. Sometimes we do stupid things and it has negative ramifications. It has bad ramifications to it. But second and this is the bigger issue, is that Lewis is arguing here that it isn't God or nature to blame for when disasters or horrors happen. It's us. We're the problem here. It's the humans. It's the angry, stupid, self-destructive humans that we are that cause us the problems. Sure, can God use nature to communicate some message to us. Sure he can. It's his creation. He's the God and ruler over it. Go right ahead. He can do that. But I think a lot of times, certain groups may put a little bit more of an emphasis on, you know, when some natural disaster hits that, oh, this is God trying to wake wake America up. Okay, or maybe this is years of us as humans doing stupid things to the environment and now everything's all jacked up because we've mistreated the planet i have a friend who several years ago was trying to convince me that the amount of wildfires that take place in our country nowadays is god trying to get our country wake up america get america's attention to make abortion illegal. He is pretty confident that's why there are so many wildfires. Which okay, fine. Can we can we just maybe step back for a second and realize that maybe just maybe it has less to do with God trying to wake up the Americans to make some legislative change and maybe like in recent history it's a gender reveal party gone wrong that's what was one of those more recent wildfires it wasn't god trying to get our attention it was humans being stupid can we can we maybe just accept that a little bit which which sounds more plausible to you which sounds more plausible to you? Does it sound more plausible in that specific illustration? I will just keep it right there at that illustration that that is God trying to wake up America, or it's just humans being dumb. What do you think? Because just it really frustrated me. That conversation really frustrated me. At least, at least someone, at least C.S. Lewis agrees with me. In all, it was refreshing having a very honest look at pain and grief this week. Uh, it was also very nice having a really short read this week. We don't get an honest look from people anymore. I don't think this level of honesty, I don't. we don't really get that from prominent Christian theologians as much anymore in their books. I think a lot of people, I, I don't know, you know what, I don't. I don't know why we don't get more honest looks and honest takes like that other than the fact that people are embarrassed or people think that it makes them look bad or people think that it's, you know, it's wrong for a Christian to feel that way. And it's, it's not, it's not wrong. Your pain is valid. Your pain is legitimate. And you should bring that to God, and He will sit with you in it. And you can have, you could have an experience with Him if we're just willing to sit with it. There's been people, generations of people now, who have read The Grief Observed and have been influenced on this. I think personally, uh, within the past couple months, I finished reading. St Augustine's Confessions, and I think part of the reason there's a lot of reasons why this book has stayed relevant throughout the decades. but I think one of the reasons is because he's very honest. He's very honest in bearing his heart to God and being a witness and a confession to anyone who reads this book i I think I think there is a place for this. there is a place for bearing our heart to God. And there is a place within reason of bearing our heart to others and God using that as a way to influence generations of believers to come. Which takes us to our verse of the week. This is Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. You know, I wasn't there when C.S. Lewis had to grieve the passing of his wife. I wasn't there. But I can't help but feel bad for the guy now. I know that doesn't really do much for him now. Actually, his situation's so much better now. But I I can't help but grieve the pain that he is grieving decades ago now. And I just I want to be that type of person for other people that When they need to grieve, when they need to, you know, share pain and suffering, that they feel comfortable with bringing that to me. And it's part of the reason why I'm bringing this message to this church tomorrow, that they they have space to grieve, you have space to lament, and you can lament together. We should bear one another's burdens. But what do you think? Let me know what you think. You can go to the aforementioned uh, Twitter and Anchor profiles. You can also uh, comment on the links that you found this episode on. And let me know what you think. Do you think that we should be bearing one another's burdens and being open and honest about the pain and embarrassment that we're feeling? Or is do you think this should be more of a private matter between you and God? What do you think of the role of shame in a believer's life? Do you think it is a redeemable redeemable emotion that we need to kind of get back to? Or is it a little too damaged? Let me know what you think. Um, And if you want prayer for grief, feel free to reach out for that too. I will be more than happy to pray for you about that. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you did, please subscribe and leave a review on whatever podcast platform that you caught this episode on and let someone know that about this episode that you think will get something out of it and enjoy it. Next week we'll be back in the essential CS Lewis looking at some of his thoughts on miracles. And let me tell you this reading so far has been one tasty morsel. There has been so much in it. It's going to be a good episode, but until next time, grace and peace.